0: Be turning to 1 Corinthians 16 that was written for this offering, 1 Corinthians 16. we got pew Bibles. We want you to know that we're a Bible-preaching church. If you think the pastor's inventing it, run up with me, to me with a Bible and slap me upside the head. We don't get to invent our message. It's got to be in the Bible, right? And if it's in the Bible, you'll do it, Right? Good. Now concerning the collection, is that what your Bible says? And every pastor said, amen. For the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also are you are also to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit my letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. And uh, I just want to deal with this simple directive to the church to once again remind you of what we constantly need to be reminded of. There's three things in the Christian life, probably, that uh, we need to be reminded of at least at least once every two weeks. Uh, what do you think those three things would be? Huh? Prayer. What oh, was that? It? Read the Bible. Well, okay. We'll add four. What other? Prayer. The Bible. Uh, fellowship. Well, you guys gonna make the list longer, but you're right. Fellowship, uh, giving, and then how about evangelism? Now, uh, how often do you need to be reminded to do this? Do you think all of these are biblical? Fellowship, giving, prayer, the Bible. Uh, what other one do we? So they added another one. So, you need me to say it? For serving. Now, and uh, uh, let me say something to you about reminders. I love what uh, 2 Peter, I think Tim brought this up when I remember talking this. Look at 2 Peter 1, 12. Uh, and notice what it says. Then we'll get into this. Uh, verse 12, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I want to keep reminding you of what I think you already know. Isn't that interesting? Now, let me tell you, having lived low these many years, having raised the daughters that are singing and trying to survive the grandchildren, uh, you know what one of the biggest tasks, one of the biggest monotonous tasks of being a parent is it is the task of reminding. Uh, did you brush your teeth? How, how many times were we ever told that? Uh, did you empty the trash? Uh, did you tie your shoes? How many times? You have to keep telling the person to do it. What you do, you keep telling the child to do it. This is what you're hoping for. You're hoping that it becomes a habit in their life that they do instinctively, right? Um, how many of you ever learned to drive a stick shift? Do you remember those first experiences? I broke in on a 56 Ford pickup, and man, it's a wonder... I put, didn't put the whole family into whiplash. I mean, but because, it, you know, getting that clutch and that gear shifting, uh, I, I think, I like driving five stick. I like five. We got a little focus we drive now. And five, it's good. You just feel like you're an Indy five, right? you boom, mm, boom, boom. But I remember when just doing the clutch, you do it enough, you instinctively drive uh, stick shift. You just know, and you're trying to tell your kid how to do it. Well, you just wait until it grabs. You see, you got it, and it stalls out. Come on, it's not that hard, dumbo. I know how, and pretty soon you just keep doing it, and what's a trial and a test, it becomes a part of you. Now, the test of mature believers is they need to be reminded of doing fewer things all the time. Because according to 1 Timothy 4, 7, you discipline yourself to be godly. The godly man becomes known by the habits of his life. A godly man is not occasionally spiritual. The godly man doesn't occasionally do some right things. It becomes fixed patterns in his life. He's exercised himself, disciplined himself. And so when I come to the matter of giving... Uh, to those who are mature in crisis, why, why bother me with something that's already a part of my life? Well, what's unique when you're pastoring is we constantly keep getting new people. And some of you have come from churches where you've been spoiled brats. You never learned to support the church because your pastor's afraid to tell you. Well, I'm here not afraid because I've got Bible. And you need to grow up. And so I'm going to teach you as I would teach a child to do a godly discipline and a godly habit. Uh, if you uh, let's say this economic thing, I was talking to an African American pastor uh, in the Berkeley, Oakland area uh, recently, and telling me of how many of their churches have folded during this economic crisis. Many of the churches said they folded; they just went under. A a uh, a school that I used to be affiliated with. Because I was in another school, Bethany, in Santa Cruz, 95 years, just closed its doors. I mean, this is the Assembly of God's school. Been there, and guess what? They closed it, lack of money, lack of whatever, lack of resources, and they, they folded. Now, God's work depends on God's people. And if we do God's work, God's way, we shouldn't lack supply, right? Okay? So let's take the journey here and uh, uh, pardon the reminders. No, let me give you some just... Uh, do any of you ever forget appointments? Uh, Kaiser, I- I've got two reminders on my desk at home. And I get a little irritated. So, and I've got a dentist that uh, his secretary calls... Always two days before the appointment. She's like, I call her like a mother. Uh, Did you remember your meds? You know, the appointments in the morning. Hey, you know, I got your card. That's enough. Are you kidding? I forgot an appointment this week. And I got a doctor's appointment the next day. He let me in the next day. And and I was telling my wife all morning, I got a three o'clock appointment with this doctor. And when she came back, she said, did you go? Go where? (laughs) I I did. Go where? What's wrong with you, woman? I said, go where? You said you had a 3 o'clock appointment. I don't need a reminder. I'm a man of God. (laughs) Let me tell you what he did to me. I got in there, and and Kaiser sends out all these. I got two for, I got an appointment. All all of you on the 25th call my house. You got an appointment. And uh, so by the time I got in there, I said, man, I'm so sorry. I forgot yesterday and everything. And he just gently, as he's doing the computer, he says, uh, would you happen to own maybe a calendar? I thought, you're talking to Dr. Phil. <laughs> Shut your mouth, boy. You know, but he said, he just real basic, he didn't even look at me. We have that, what they, they call them calendars. Or if you're tech, you just put it in there. And they have ringers that go off. We survive past 45 on reminders. Reminders. So, uh, having preached a lot on the subject in the month of April, now I'm just coming back to remind you. And he's going to teach them about giving. Two things we want to look at. The purpose for our giving. Three things we'll mention. Support the needy support the leadership, support the mission of the church. Those are the three things we'll just look at under purpose. There's many more. Do that. Then we'll look at just basic principles, five principles on giving that he gives us, five of them. If you remember P, you'll have it. The place to be giving, the period or the time to be giving, uh, your plan for giving, the participants in the giving, And the proportion in giving. We'll get that and we'll develop it as we go along. What's the purpose for our giving? He says, the collection for the saints. I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. And what is he doing? Acts 11 talks about a famine that had hit Jerusalem. Many of the Jewish Christians uh, were fired from their jobs, were put out of their families. Uh, They were being persecuted economically for joining this sect called Christianity. So they were in great need. Also, Agabus warned about the famine that was coming on Palestine. Whatever, the Jewish church was in great economic need. And as Paul is going west and taking the gospel, he said, what a golden opportunity to show our beloved Jewish brethren that we love them, that were one in the gospel, that were one in the family of God. They sent out their missionaries. They sent out, boy, when you read Acts 2, Acts 4, you read there, Barnabas took and sold his property, laid the money at the apostles' feet. The, The Jerusalem church might have divested itself of so much of its assets to supply all gospel needs. Now they're in need. And so he says, Let's remember, I'm taking an offering for poor saints back in Jerusalem. Help them. And you see this in 2 Corinthians, Galatians. He is campaigning, let's help our brothers and sisters. And you must know, we've got needy brothers and sisters all over this globe. We are doing a meager amount in missions right now. Because we haven't, we, we, in this crisis, we weren't meeting our own needs. Uh, we're at 4%. We give 4% of our money to missions. We ought to be minimally 10%. But you've got to, first of all, get in the black for your own home operations, right? You can't give what you don't have. And so he's saying, remember, I've been promoting this offering. What is it for? A bunch of needy saints, uh, needy people, missionaries. Their kids actually need clothes. Uh, they, you know what? The last few years, we, we, uh, because of our own economic uh, straits, uh, we used to, every November, we would double pay all of our missionaries. We'd pay them double. We'd pay them not only for November support, but then we'd double whatever they were getting so that they could make a Christmas for their family. I wonder if God would be interested in doing that. Waste of money. No, it's not. If it was for you, it wouldn't be a waste. They like to buy their kids something. So we doubled it. We started years ago. I just found out we dropped it the last two years because we didn't have the money. We didn't have the money. I hope to God we do it this November. God's people are always economically in need. I've often told you the story of John Walford when he told us in the class once. When I get to heaven, I want to ask God why he tied so much ministry to money. Why? We've got men willing to preach the gospel to the four corners of the earth. And sometimes missionaries spend three years on a duty trying to raise their support. My lands, why don't we just get them over there? We don't need them on the road in America for three years. But when you can't raise the support, you stay here till you raise it. We had a missionary to Bangladesh that stood on our platform. I said, Bill, why aren't you back in Bangladesh? He said, because I don't have $10,000 to buy six tickets for my family to get there. We were in an economic crisis. We laid out the Bible that morning. and We raised about $12,000. He bought the tickets. He went back to Bangladesh. That's, we want to be about helping people. You may not have any needs, but there's a lot of God's people are very needy. We want to be partners to help them. Two, he says in Scripture, it's right to support leaders as they do ministry. First Corinthians 9 says that. Galatians 6, six says that. 1 Timothy five seventeen, treat with double honor he who preaches and teaches the word. That's why I always wanted to be the preacher. <laughs> double honor. And that doesn't mean two pats. Good boy. Because he compares it to taking care of the ox. So be good to your ox. I had a church that called me one time. They said, we don't know whether to give the pastor a raise or not. I said, well, uh, what's your struggle? I said, well, we're wanting to add some Sunday school classrooms. And we don't, have the, we don't think we have the money to add the classrooms and give him a raise. I said, well, what do you want? A barn and a dead ox, or a living ox, and build your barn later. Why don't you feed the ox first? The barn is worthless unless you've got an ox, and your pastor happens to be the ox, and you're paying him the grand sum, the grand total of 10000 a year. They paid the pastor, gave him a raise, and they built the classrooms. You support leaders. You see, I don't want you to know this. I really don't want the board to know. I signed up to preach for nothing. I signed up when I was 15. There were no Valley Bible boards when I started. I had to say, yes, I'll preach for nothing. And I just don't want the board to take me literal on that. Because you have to ask, Howard, would you preach the gospel if people didn't support you? You bet your life. I may have to get another job, and I may have to go to a church that would support me, but you support me overwhelmingly. What the board needs to know is I've preached in this church for a lot less. I don't want them to grab that either, because they could arrange it any moment. I preached the first five years in this church without a salary, just a love offering, whatever it was. And when I had extra bills and extra needs, I prayed more that week. I had a great prayer life in those days, because that Sunday morning offering meant whether I was going to pay the rent, clothe my girls, or pay tuition for my girls. And guess what? The weeks I prayed the most, God gave me just enough money to make it. I got bored when I went on a salary because I knew every week what I got. The other way, I never knew. Boy, it was exciting. (laughs) It was really exciting. The preacher, the leader, the teacher has to be willing to do it for nothing if he's signed up at the cross and not with a board. No board sets my salary ultimately. I said yes to the cross, not to the terms and conditions of some church board. I will preach almighty God till I die, not based on whether you pay me or not. And I'm treated well. You're not hearing a martyr here. But that was my pledge to the Lord. Everything since then has gone up. But on the other hand, the test of the church is, what are you willing to pay them? Are you willing to keep them broke in Jesus' name? Or are you willing to let them prosper? The more you give them, the more their kids will grow up not thinking that they treated me bad while they were treated good. No, the church is told, take care of those. We've got pastors. We said a lot of churches don't have paid youth pastors. We do. We think it's worth it. Not everybody's got a children's program. I think it's Susie back here does our home Bible study. We never paid her a dime. She does it because she loves the cause. Got a lot. We don't have a janitor in this church. We've had a Bob Kennedy and some others do some part bits and pieces. We've, we're two acres under, uh, under roof on this campus, and we don't have a full-time janitor. Bob Kennedy, Jim Kyle, and Dave Pinks, and different men. They, our men volunteer so much stuff. We don't have a paid a sound man full time. This church, we've been riding on volunteers so long, it's not even funny. This building needs to be painted again. We've been in this building 10 years, and the paint's peeling off. You know what? We, it's hard to get a burden to paint a building when you're running red ink. But pretty soon you're going to say, man, the church sure looks run down. When are they going to improve it? It takes money, and I'm not talking to honey. It just takes, you got to have the surplus. We ought to be abounding. We've been meeting the budget, and we're just about to cry every Sunday. I had Marilyn call me every Monday. Did we make it? I've never done that in the history of this church. Did we make it? See, support. Then he said, you ought to support the mission of the church. If you don't believe in what this church wants to do, you're in the wrong church. You need to find a church that uh, doesn't take offerings. Find a church that agrees with everything you do. But you couldn't even marry a woman that agrees with you on everything. <laughs> Sometimes folks want the church to agree with everything. Well, you, we don't, I don't agree with you. Well, good. Do you agree with the woman you sleep with? Well, never thought about it. Well, you you better when she's getting ready to kill you. Yeah, you don't have to agree. Do you believe supporting missionaries right? Do you believe helping kids is right? Do you believe preaching the gospel is right? Well, you don't preach the gospel. Boy, I'd get another church right now, and I'll give you money for a bus ticket. If you don't think the gospel is preached here, get in a gospel preaching church. And get in one that you can't run. You'll ruin it. Get in one you can submit to. If you can't submit... You won't ever go up. All the luxury of getting to be out there in the pew and not have to bear the responsibility for the decision. Say, just right, I don't agree. I think they went over a cliff, but I'm submitting. Well, You ought to be the guys over here that make the decision. Yeah, I think we are going over the cliff, and I got to tell the whole church we blew it. You don't know what I'm talking about, do you? Never let anything. Leaders become responsible. And you ought to take care of God's children and be accountable. If you think that's lightweight, we'll let you join the team. It's the weightiest thing I'll ever answer for. More than how I raised my daughters is how I treat you. He will ask me, how did you take care of my children? I look forward to the day, but I also tremble. Five things he says about how we should give. Notice what he says. The period we should give. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. So that there will be no collecting when I come. This is interesting. It's a strong argument that the saints met on the first day and not the Sabbath. We are not Sabbath keepers. We see the Sabbath was given to Israel. I'm not under Sabbath rules. Christ was raised from the dead on the first day of the week. The church began to meet on the first day. So every first day of the week, there was a time they collected offerings. And so there was a specific time that they could expect offerings to be collected. Second thing, the place where they were to do their giving. The place was the local church where they went. When you come together, uh, be prepared to do that. And so he says, when you do this the first of every week, be prepared to give. So that's kind of a cycle for believers. Every seven days, God said, be prepared to offer a gift to support the mission of the church, the leadership of the church, the needy that the church is trying to reach. First day of every week, he said, do that. The place, your local church. Um, and he said something interesting here. Be prepared to give. He said, you should set aside a sum of money. It's interesting the interpretation. There's two leading interpretations on this. A guy like Charles Ryrie said, and I used to hear him say it, uh, that Everybody ought to keep a home treasury chest where they collect money uh, for special needs so that the setting money aside was seen as your home savings for special needs. Uh, And and, and many had that view. The the newer view, and maybe been around longer, uh, all the way back to Justin Martyr, second century, uh, is that all the giving at temples in the pagan world The treasury chest for all the giving was at the place where they worship. It was a place where it was guarded. And so what he's really saying is, you during the week ought to be setting money aside. They were paid every day. They got their wages daily in biblical times, not once a week. So as you get your pay at the end of the day, set aside that portion that you want to honor the Lord with. Set it aside. Set it aside. And on the first day of the week, entrusted to the church treasury, as it were. Just, but be setting it aside. You come to church and you're not caught off guard. All week you're thinking about what you have put aside in the Lord's work on the first day of the week. So he said, as you prosper and as you're giving, you should set aside a sum of money. And so if you were being paid daily, uh, You know, the money can get away from you. Say, hey, i received so much. I want to set aside this portion. Let's say if you're a strict tither, the 10%, I'm setting this aside for the Lord's work. I'm setting this aside for the Lord's work. Then you come to the Lord's day. There it is. And it's not a big crisis on Sunday. And it's not the scrambling you see in the pews sometimes. Oh, they're taking an offering. Do they do that here? Yeah, we do. For 40 years. Uh, what's new? What's your problem? Well, I, I feel nervous. Well, if you're not obedient, you should. I had a man just tell me recently. He said, "You know what? My wife doesn't really feel comfortable at Valley." And I said, "Well, uh, 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 I can understand that." He said she's not a believer, and she doesn't feel comfortable. And I said, "Well, I can understand that." He said, "I think she comes under conviction." I said, "Isn't that wonderful?" Should someone going to hell not be convicted in church? Shouldn't they? My wife and I pray for it. We grew up with conviction. The Spirit of God could talk to you in church and show you your need of Christ, right? So, be prepared. Think of the place. Think of the period. Once a week at your local church, as you've laid aside, you've prepared this money. And then he said, uh, notice who all was to be in the offering. On the first day of every week, let those who are wealthy give. Which would be all of you. Because you make more than $1,500 a year. And you don't uh, have houses with dirt floors. And you most of you own a car. So you are the wealthy on a world standard. But your poor boy here, but each of you is to put something aside and store it up. You know what? Isn't it amazing that Jesus didn't refund the widow's mite? Why didn't he just say he saw it? It fell in there, and he knew. Luke records it. He knew it was all she had. Now, that's omniscience. I don't think she told him, that's all I've got. Jesus knew. And he could have just said, oh, oh no, and reach into the treasury and pull out an extra 20 bucks to give her, to feed her that day. That seems more humanitarian to me than just saying, and we receive it. But Jesus did it. Here's another one. Elijah gets caught in a famine, and he goes down to a widow's house in Seraphath, and he sees her. And she's collecting sticks. And uh, he said, "Uh, uh, dear lady, said, I'm hungry. Would you please uh, fix me a meal? She said, well, you must not be aware. There's a famine in the land. Yeah. And I just gathered enough sticks to fix my boy and I something to eat, and then we're going to die. He said, well, before you do that, fix me something. Just grab your heart. Does this seem compassionate? Yeah, please. Then you can eat the boy later. They did that in the famine, you know. He said, you just go and you fix me something. How dare him say that? God told him to tell her that. You read it, 1 Kings 17. And she got in there and obeyed a little bit of oil, a little bit of flour, fixed a tortilla. That's about all she can fix. Palestinian bread is like tortillas, it's flat. Gave it to the man of God. He ate it. And first Kings just records a narrative. And the flour barrel never ran out. And the oil never ran out from that day forward. What is God saying? You won't ever put me first and me not take care of you. You put me first, seek my kingdom... And I'll give you everything the Gentiles are biting their fingernails over and worrying about the stock market, worrying about this and that. He said, if you put me first, he said, I'll add to you everything you need and keep you from having a nervous breakdown over finances. Matthew 6. Every one of us are to participate. You know what? I don't really like uh, this verse in a way. I'll tell you, I get paid the 15th and the 30th twice. We used to get paid every week, but now it's twice a month. You know what I hate about the verse? It's terrible to talk this way. I keep being dealt with about the off weeks. I only assume I have to give twice a month in this church. I got to give today because I got paid on the 15th, right? 17th. Pay up, boy. You got paid. But you know what's convicting to me? is when we take an offering in this church and I don't participate. Because I really got it. And only God knows where I hide it. I keep carrying away from it. And God says, well, well, what are you doing with all that there? Lord, I gave it to you on the 15th. And God said, and I gave to you every day this year. You ought to be thinking about giving when you go to church. It ought to be a part of your worship. And when you sit with Grant, you have to because he frisked me. So uh, you don't even get that, but that's all right. That's too deep. Uh, each of you ought to be giving. And then he said, give as you may prosper. Uh, it's amazing to see the baby givers in church. Some folks prayed about it years ago, and they landed on $10, and they've been there ever since. It's just something magic about $10. And then they got carried away and started giving twenty. Now they've gotten five raises since then and they've never changed the amount. Because this is the golden amount. There it is. There it is. No, 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 no. You gotta that's why tithing, if you don't like that, that's an old testament, Israel had to do it. The the, the wonderful thing about tithing is it gives you some kind of a percentage to get an idea of a training wheel, as Randy Alcorn says, a percentage that you might be challenged to say, this is the proportion I'd like to give to God right off the top. That that comes out to a penny out of every dime, a dime out of every dollar. And many, I know, they increase it 1% every year. I just heard an interview with Rick Warren. He says he now gives 90% away and keeps 10. Still a multimillionaire. Uh, I'm wanting you folks to do me this way. That uh, W.A. Criswell, when he pastored First Baptist in Dallas one Sunday morning, presented every payday check they'd ever given him for 45 years. He paid the church back all on one Sunday morning. He said, You know, God has blessed me, and I never did preach for money. I needed it, but I'd like to give First Baptist back all of the paychecks you've given me. You've been gracious to me, but God has seen fit to prosper me over here. Well, when H.L. Hunt goes to your church and when other people go there and, you know, uh, they teach you how to invest in oil and you're a multimillionaire. Uh, If you'll do that, if some of you will make me a multimillionaire, I'll be glad to give every check back. That's true. Because you just need the money to pay the rent. You can't take it with you, Right? I don't want to go right back to the people and to the ministry I love. I don't want to get more. What are you going to do if you have a lot more? How many steaks can you eat? How many times can you go to Disneyland? I mean, come on. This world doesn't have much to do with money. What? What? what you want me? Some old dead animal wrapped around you? That, that is your kick. That's what you're weighing. Or stone, you need a lot of silver, you need a lot of gold. You mean that, that really will do it. You know what do more for you than anything you could imagine? Is go give somebody something that enables them to eat for a month. The joy in living for God is not getting, it's giving. The getting has to end. Ask the world how they're doing with their mad chase for more and their greed. More women, more drugs, more money, more cars, more houses. Tell me, are they happy? And do they die with peace on their face? You know, the rich man in time became the poor man in eternity. And the poor man in time became rich for eternity. I'll take Lazarus any day. If I can just be in the bosom of Abraham for eternity. And I'm moving it up. I'm not landing in Abraham's bosom. I'm landing in Christ's bosom. I'm going to be with him forever, all the way through eternity. So proportionate. Figure out what you want to give. No, I'm going to give it every seventh day. I want to give it as to the Lord. And Valley Bible ought to prosper. And that 900 folks out there that you've never done this, and you've got to be reminded. And some of you are not going to change unless God just puts lightning in your soul and he's able to arrange that. Uh, but he wants it to be a free will offering. You know, if he had to just twist your arm to get it, wouldn't that hurt him? You know, if your wife on your anniversary puts some judo on you, you better take me to dinner. This is our anniversary. And you ask yourself, why did I marry a sumo wrestler? <laughs> you know, I mean, well, it, it would destroy the event. It's the willingness. And I was just saying to the men today, to say that you know God and that's why you're miserable is terrible advertisement for God, terrible advertisement. You know what advertises God the most? Is he's the greatest pleasure, the greatest joy I've ever found. I can't get enough of him, I can't do enough for him, I can't be with him enough, I can't be with his people enough, I can't sing about him enough, I can't pray enough. How come not enough? Because he's everything I want and more, and when you taste of him, you don't want less, you want more, I can recommend him. He's not a strain. He's not like the guy, the boy that told his mother, said, Mom, give me one reason why I ought to go to church. She said, because you're the pastor. (laughs) You know, don't get in that shape. You want to be sure, you want to be sure that you give and you serve God because you love him. Let me tell you, uh, I want you to be praying with me. We owe about, uh, oh, nearly $5 million on this building. And as I was just praying this morning, we struggle in our leadership this way. Uh, we're not living for the mortgage, okay? But we got to pay them thirty-five thousand a month anyway, something like that. And uh, did you know that if we pay off this mortgage, let's say let's put it five million, six million, if we just took thirty years on it, that means we'll pay them back eighteen million dollars because it'd be triple. You know that? You know when you buy your house, you buy it for a hundred, you give them back three hundred thousand. And then you thank the bank for being so nice to you. Right? And they're making uh, at least 60 to 70% on you. Because they're, giving, they're renting their money to you over time because you can't do it up front. And for the rent, they're going to collect all these interest, all these fees, and just keep smiling. We are your friendly banker to bless you. No, we need banks, but they're not there to bless. They're there to prosper. And we've had a great bank situation in our loan. But I ask myself this. I do this because I look at what we're doing in missions. God, how much of our money do you want to go to interest until we pay off this building? That if we give them 35000 a month, how much of that is interest, Tim? 60% a month. It goes to the bank to build another story on the bank and maybe one third of it goes to principal. Is that about right? Okay. And we get to do this for 30 to 40 years. I'm thinking, God, is that your heart? You know, and then I get these letters from Katie over here. She goes to India. She, the girl's crazy. She's raising these young children. She's got a master's from a top school, married a handsome man, and she's over there making trips to India to rescue women and teach them how to do a trade so they won't be sold as sex trade women or be treated as nothing in a culture that has no value on women way down in certain parts of the country. Why waste your life trying to rescue women? Think of what, if we could redeem all that interest money and say, God, I want my money to go meet the needs of people. I want my money to go in evangelism. I want my money to go into youth outreach. I want Do you think God's big enough to make us pay off a mortgage? Not that we're living for it, but I hate wasting all that interest just to get a building because this is going to pass away. One little boy or one little girl reached for Jesus Christ, won't pass away. I'm not wasting my money. The best money I invested today is what I put in the offering. That's the best investment I'll make all week. The rest of the week could be just groceries, gas for the car, and uh, telling Carolyn she doesn't need it. <laughs> I always pick, pick on her because I got a easily affordable woman the old blues song says i want to marry me a woman i want to get me a woman i could easily afford and i got that in my wife you know why i slap her hands and say i already gave in the offering she said you know i work too i know but i want to manage it i want to give it honey let me be the holy spirit in this marriage we can't both be giving. That would grieve God. Says, You stingy brat, I'll give to whatever I want. And it's my paycheck. But honey, I know how to manage it better than you. How could we close a service on that? Pray for my wife. She'll be in the second service. I'll say none of these things. I won't. No way. I just vent my soul in the first service. That's why it's so quiet. They're going to come and sing the mercy seat. And let me tell you this. When you give, you are not making payments on eternal life. I'm not paying a debt off. I'm not in debt to God. Grace incurs no debts. What I got is free. But I'm giving to say thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll never forget what you did for me at the cross.